Well, good morning. My name is Ashton, and I'm really honored to speak with you today. Um, we're all a part of the same family in the Garden State, but I usually spend most of my services in the East. So it's cool to be with the West group today. Really awesome. And it's good to see everybody. You know, I'm excited to spend some time together uh, learning from Jesus in Luke 15 uh, today. Um, and this chapter in Luke that we're going to get into has a collection of stories told by Jesus. And who doesn't love a good story? I actually want to hear from, from you guys. What do you think makes a good story? You can just yell it out. I'm in teacher mode. School has started back. But um, happy ending. Okay. A surprise ending. What makes a good story? Crazy conflict. Conflict. Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, the fight that good and evil. Okay, good and evil. Kind of that fight between good and evil. Yeah. Character development. Character development. Mm, that's the good stuff right there. Tell her. Anyone else who makes a good story? Yeah, Daniel. Vocabulary. Vocabulary. Where in the back? This is scary. Ooh, all right, one more, yeah. The takeaway. The takeaway. This is like another one. I said one more, but one more. Plot twist. Plot twist. I love that. You know, I love, I love to tell stories. Um, I've had some interesting stories that I've heard and been a part of, and kind of to break the ice, I just, I just want to tell you an embarrassing story about myself. Is that okay? Because I don't, I got the suit and I look all put together, but I'm surely not. Right. So Desiree forced me to tell this story about it. Good way. Elementary school, fifth grade, sixth grade. Um, my sister would have this huge birthday party every year. Birthday was in June. We'd invite all our friends in our school to this birthday party. It was a huge deal. And this birthday party now, this is the early 2000s. Right. Some of us were here. Some of us weren't here. Right. But back then. I, you know, I had, I had my like basketball jersey, my headband, I had everything color coordinated and lined up. And one of the reasons I was so like particular about my outfit is because I had a crush. She was coming to the party and I had to make sure I was on point and I looked good and everything like that. And I'm a weird guy. I lay out all my clothes, right? The way they need to be, socks and all, shoes, everything. And I was missing my socks. The socks are key. The socks are important, right? So I'm I'm getting ready to get dressed and I realize like, yo, I don't have my socks. I think they're downstairs in the laundry. So my house, I'm on the third floor and I have to go down to like the basement or second floor, one of those things. But I have to go through the house to get my socks from the laundry room. So as I go to get my socks, actually, I'm, I'm it's just me in a towel. I got out the shower. I needed my socks before I started anything about getting dressed. It, it was early. It was before the party started. Some people like to come a little early. So as I'm, as, I'm, as I'm ascending from the basement of my house, I hear the gate to my house. And I look out the kitchen window, and it's the crush. And I'm like, ooh, she's here early. It, I should just run upstairs. So I tell my mom, I'm like, mom, let me just get through the living room. It's just me and my towel and my socks. I can't be seen like this. And my mom said, hurry up. Why? She said, hurry up. She could have, you know. So I started rushing. And I'm running with this towel and socks. And I dropped my socks. That's the reason I came. 
I drop the socks. So when I go to reach for the socks, I let go of the towel. Now, when my mom said hurry up, she meant hurry up because the door was opening. A lot was happening at the same time. And um, I was exposed. And I, I just left the socks. I left the towel. And I kept running. It was a brown blur that they saw after we deliberated afterwards. And I had to just like come downstairs to the party, you know, dressed with the socks and kind of fake staff. And um, I, I, I'm with Desiree now, right? So it's a good ending, a happy ending, as Mary Lou said. A happy ending. You know, uh, no one tells a story like Jesus. And I think the, the reason for that is that because his stories, his parables were packed with purpose and meaning. Jesus would use stories to interpret scripture, convey a specific message to the audience. And what's beautiful is that even though we weren't there to hear him tell those stories like live and in person, we get to read them and learn from them now. So we're going to be spending time in Luke 15, as I said before. And um, before Jesus goes ahead and tells these stories, Luke sets the stage for why he's telling these stories in the first place. So Luke 15, verses 1 to 3. I'm going to have the scriptures up on the on the screen here as well, because I'm going to be reading from the TPT translation, um, but you can also read along. In Luke 15, starting in verse 1, it says, Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around Jesus to listen as Jesus taught the people. This raised concerns among the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, Look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. In response, Jesus gave them this illustration. So the Pharisees complained about Jesus teaching and spending time with sinners. In their eyes, the people Jesus was teaching and fellowshipping with didn't have morals. For example, tax collectors were corrupt and they were stealing from their own people. And some others who were drawn to Jesus were engaging in obvious outward sin. Moreover, this audience of Jewish religi uh, religious leaders and experts of the law, they actually followed a rabbinic rule that stated that one must not associate with an ungodly man. So the rabbis would not even teach such a person. But Rabbi Jesus was different. And to explain why, he told the Pharisees three stories. Now, in verse four to seven, in his first story, he said he tells the story when the message of the story is God is like the shepherd who searches through the wilderness for one lost sheep, though he has 99 still with him. Then he moves on to the second story in verse, verses eight to 10. He said, God is like a woman who searches every crevice of her home for one lost coin, even though she has nine valuable coins still in her possession. The last story he tells is God is like the father who eagerly awaits the return of one son that lost his way, even though his obedient firstborn remains with him. He points out something about God in each of these stories. God searches for the lost, and then he celebrates when they're found. I want to spend uh, some extra time with the last story that Jesus tells. In some Bibles, the publishers like to title the story, The Prodigal Son. 
Now, does anybody know the definition of prodigal? Right? We use this word describing the story. Yeah, go for it, Bob. Wasteful. Wasteful, right? The prodigal son. It means wasteful. The definition of prodigal means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant, or having or giving something on a lavish scale. You know, with this definition in mind, I actually want to title our lesson today, The Prodigal Father. Because I believe at the center of this story is a father and his grace, a grace that is given generously and excessively lavished on his two sons. So let's read the story about the prodigal father. You guys with me? Yes. Let's read the story. Ooh, this side looked a little crazy. All right, there we go. <laughs> All right, Luke 15, starting in verse 11. I'll go ahead and read. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the fare of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their, their inheritance. Shortly afterwards, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. That's the prodigal part. With everything to spend, everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, but there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want and with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back to my father's house and I'll say to him, father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the young man set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son, who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I can never be, I can never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be, father interrupted and said, son, you're home now. Turning to his ser servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe. I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship. I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found, and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Well, not everyone. <laughs> now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing like we had in the background of the hotel. <laughs> so he called over one of his servants and asked, what's going on? The servant replied, it's your younger brother. 
He's returned home and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The oldest son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Come and enjoy the feast with us. The son said, Father, listen, how many years have I been working for you like a slave? Working like a slave for you, performing every duty you have asked as a faithful son. You never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you given me a goat that I can feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. The father said, my son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. Amen. You know, grace is undeserved generosity. When someone is incredibly kind towards you and you did nothing to earn it, that's grace. And in this story, the father definitely goes above and beyond with grace. His son deeply disrespected him. The younger son asked for an inheritance that was set aside for when the father died. To ask for it now was essentially telling his dad, you're dead to me. He then proceeded to sell and recklessly waste an entire third of his dad's estate. And when he got to the point of being broke and broken, this son began to make his way back to his father. And after all the disobedience, all the sin, the son was met with, I told you so. No, somebody's shaking their head. Actually, it was, go to your room. No. <laughs> Maybe the father didn't let him inside. No. He was met, the son was met with open arms, new clothes, a steak dinner, or maybe a goat dinner, I don't know, and a homecoming party. This is a crazy response. But Jesus was trying to drive a point home. Whether you're like a sheep who wandered off and got lost, or like a son who deliberately turns your back on him, God remains extremely generous. Like a father that is prodigal with grace. If you're a Christian, this is a message of hope. If you're not a Christian, this is a message of hope. If you are somewhere in between and you're not sure, this is a message of hope. If you feel spiritually distant from God, you feel lost, you feel tangled in sin, even if you're actively making your way further and further away from him. Jesus is trying to give us insight into God's response. God the Father is at the door of his kingdom already looking for you. You can come home. You haven't ruined your chances with him. He's got another one. And he's ready to embrace you just the way you are. You know, some things that a Pharisee listening to this story would have picked up on is, you know, the father in this story ran to his son as soon as he could see him. Right? The, this Jewish man of nobility should have not been running. That was beneath him culturally. 
The tax collectors and the sinners were beneath the Pharisees, but they weren't beneath Jesus. The father in the story hugged and kissed his son who was dressed in beggar's clothes. Remember, he was just working with pigs. So his son was unclean from a Jewish perspective. His father should have not even touched him after he was tending to pigs. Rabbi Jesus was reflecting this image of God by associating with those whose lives were unclean so that he can make them clean. You know, the father reaffirmed his love for the son and quickly resolved any questions in his son's mind about the status in the household. You know, when he brings him a robe and a ring, these are symbols of authority and distinction within the family. He was actually even given shoes. Uh, a, a servant, an employee like the son thought he was going to be treated like would not even have shoes in his father's property. His status was being fully restored as a son, the same as a son who never left, nothing less. We worship a God who is willing to go the extra mile to erase any doubt about whether or not he loves us. The father in this parable represents our heavenly father, right? Who would run to be resolved? Who would throw a party in place of punishment? who chooses to forget the rejection and instead rejoices in reconciliation. Amen. Jesus paints this beautiful picture of God, a picture of grace. Do you see it? Do you ever struggle to see God this way? Why? Does anything make grace blurry for you? You know, I struggle sometimes because I can't, fully figure out how to balance his love and forgiveness and his righteousness and his justice. I see them both, but I don't always know how, to, how they fit together. You know, the scripture we just read does not describe every part of God's character, but the glimpse Jesus is giving us about God in the story is real. It is what God is like. So depending on how you're wired, I think the prodigal father can even make you feel uneasy. Right? Like, why did he just let the son back in and accept him so easily? And I get it. God's grace can be confusing at times, but we don't have to stay there. That means there's work to be done to understand it. And if you don't understand grace, you're going to have a difficult time accepting it for yourself. You're going to have an even harder time teaching it to someone else. And you're going to really struggle to be a living example of grace. I think also for me, my experiences and maybe even my personality sometimes affect how I view God and his grace. I am a guilty soul by nature. I can be a perfectionist. I can be really hard on myself. And sometimes I imagine a God that knows not just the good about me, but every bad thing I've ever done would also be really hard on me, even more harsh towards me than I am on myself. You know, I had to spend time in the word kind of getting clear about God's grace, getting clear about who he is and learning. Uh, this was a book that helped me out, Guilty Souls, God to Grace, um, really helped me out. And also some scriptures that helped me out to further understand and get God's grace. You know, I also think for some of uh, kind of the young people in the room, I don't get to hang out with my West teens that much. So I'm, I'm going to speak to y'all a little bit, right? Hi. So... And, 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 and we're all here because we're all together in this. Um, I think sometimes um, our experiences with 
our parents and people in the church can affect how we view God. And I think it could be like that for all of us in a way. Maybe the people you've met in church don't act like this dad. Maybe they don't respond to your sin and mistakes like this. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. We need to be better. We will be better. But I want to encourage you to continue spending time in the scriptures and keep learning more about what God is like. And don't let people blur your picture of God. As a church, we have to get grace. We have to pursue understanding. And as followers of Jesus, image bearers, as our sister shared earlier, we need to reflect the character of this father as well. When people see you, when people experience you, what about God are they reminded of? What features and characteristics of God are clearly reflected in your image, in your life? You know, 1 Timothy 4.16 reminds us that what we do and what we say can push or pull people towards Jesus. And the Jewish teachers and leaders had great influence, but their representation of God sometimes pushed people away, people who needed him the most. You know, some of the things that the Pharisees did were, were actually good, but in their efforts to try to promote and enforce God's covenant, thinking, okay, this is going to make things go better for us as a people, um, they pushed people away. Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. In chapter 14, which is kind of interesting as we read the story in Luke 15, in chapter 14, Jesus is recorded as saying, anyone who does not give up everything they have cannot be my disciple. And then in the first words of Luke 15, it says, now all the tax collectors and sinners are gathered around Jesus. There was something about him. And I think it was his life. What Jesus said and did was consistent. And together, it created this beautiful image of who God is. You know, your family, your coworkers, other Christians who look up to you are listening to a sermon every time they're around you. And it's called your life. It's the longest and most powerful sermon you'll ever preach. And it's preached without saying a word. I want to say something to the families and the parents in the room. You know, uh, grace is an essential part of creating space for a young person figuring out their walk with God. Yeah. And in Hebrews uh, 4, 16, a scripture that really helps me out, it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think all of us need to see and hear grace. It allows us to feel safe approaching God, right? And young people at the beginning of their knowledge of God need that from God and need that from you. You know, I spent uh, a week at camp not too long ago. I spend time with teens and preteens at my job. I'm just always around teenagers. And they talk a lot. That's just, they, they talk a lot. They talk a lot about relationships as well. And when we get to their relationship with God and who he is, I'm blown away about how often it's filtered through their parents or through like a mentor. If they feel like great things are expected of them from you, then they're more likely to believe that God expects great things of them. 
If they notice your fascination with God and his word, then they kind of leads them to be maybe a little bit more excited about it and interested. And if they feel this constant pressure to get everything right, and maybe a harshness even, they're more likely to shrink back from God, feeling like they can never please him anyway. When they feel like mom and dad admit their mistakes and resolve quickly and completely, they're more likely to feel like they can do that with you, with others, and with God. Do your kids see in you the command-giving God, but not the grace-giving God? Does your spouse see in you an emphasis on honesty, but a lack of humility? Do your coworkers notice that you never curse, but always gossip? Are you often preaching the word, but not listening to the hurts of those around you? You know, I'm challenged by this beautiful balance of who God is. And this week, I know I need to kind of look in a spiritual mirror and check my reflection. And think about what are some things in me that are consistent with God's character? How can I adjust? Jesus was this uh, congruent image of his heavenly father. That's a, that's a geometry term. School is back once again. Can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> Last thing on our prodigal father. You know, one of the special things in this story to me is actually at the end, the interaction that happens with the older son. We talked about how much grace has been given to the young son, but the older son needed it too. And his heart was exposed here. The son said, Father, listen, how many years have I worked like a slave for you, performing every duty you asked as a faithful son? And he goes on. He was the obedient, good, faithful son. But he saw being a son like being a slave. And I imagine this is not because of how the father treated him, but more his own ideas about what the father expected of him. He was working. Dressing, denying himself, saying all the right things and doing all the right things for acknowledgement. He didn't go off and do whatever his brother did, wasting his father's money. So he thought, I'm better than the younger brother, and therefore I deserve more. The response the father gives him sometimes actually gets me emotional. He says, my son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is your sin joy. But the older son was not satisfied with the love of his father. When he saw the party, he regretted that all of the work he did never led to that type of reward. But the reward wasn't on the way. The reward was the relationship. And he got that messed up. And the Pharisees had it messed up. And sometimes we get that messed up. The very foundation of our relationship with God is grace. I think we know that. We know we don't earn our salvation. But somehow, when we become Christians, we start trying to earn our way up some imaginary, like, disciple ladder. We're trying to, uh, you know, grow in our knowledge of the Bible, fine-tune our, 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 and grow our gifts, the talents to serve God's kingdom, right? We're trying to be pure. We're trying to talk the right way, not watch this, not listen to this, share our faith, have every quiet time. And sometimes we're doing that for a reward. Not because we're enjoying the relationship that we have with God, but because we want God to give us something good in return for the good things that we are doing for him. 
And if you're kind of doing things to earn favor from God, that mindset, I did good things, I'm going to get good things, that'll leave you miserable. That'll leave you bitter, potentially, at the end of the day. The Father says, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. So enjoy your walk with God. Enjoy being in his presence. Enjoy the freedom you have to do your best, fall on your face, and try again. Because he's by your side. He's with you, and he sees you. You know, um, at camp, I share a lesson similar to this, and, and Desiree told a, a story that was like, it was like a Desiree's parable that, that, that helped her uh, connect with God's grace. So I'm going to try to do it some sort of justice, all right? Some sort of justice. Now, if you know Desiree, you know that she loves the band Paramore, right? And um, a lot, like a lot. And then getting married to Desiree, I've now been to concerts. I've been brought into the fold of this fandom. And one of the Desiree's like kind of like life dreams, bucket list goals, was to perform on stage with Paramore. Now, that might sound unreasonable to you, because it's like, how, right? One of the traditions they do at their shows is they invite one person on stage to sing part of a song, one of their most popular songs with them. So Desiree had gone to eight concerts with this dream since she was 16, <laughs> right? See, and, and, and practicing in the mirror, singing in the shower, waiting for her moment. And then we had this big concert that we went to down in Philly. We come to church, and then we went as a, as a crew, a few of us, to go down to Philly to go to this concert. And Desiree's like, all right, this is it. I'm going to try to get on stage. We make these hats. They have signs on them. We're trying to get there early. We're trying to get close to the front. We're fighting through the crowd surge, all this stuff, trying to get the attention of this artist. And then Paramore comes up on stage, and we're screaming at the top of their lung, at our lungs. Desiree is 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 dancing, <laughs> like she had. I mean, the Apple Watch start. You know when they like, hey, are you on a brisk walk? Like you know, like she is going for it, trying to get Haley Williams, the the lead singer of Paramore's attention. I got my hat, like pick her, for probably an hour. We were doing this. Because the song hadn't come up yet. The song's at the end of the concert, but you got to start early, right? You got to work it. You got to show that you're deserving. And then the song starts. Now, I was a new Paramore fan. I actually, I was like, is this a song? This is the song. And they're like, it is the song. So I've got my hat. I took the hat off my head. I'm just waving it in the air, trying to blind her with Desiree. But everybody else's sign goes up. And it's like, solid three, 4,000 people screaming, trying to get the attention of this artist to pick them. So then Haley Williams goes into this whole speech about the fact that she's gonna pick somebody. And she said, it's kind of unfair because I picked this person as soon as I walked down on stage. And he looks, she looks at Desiree and she says, I saw you from the very first song. Oh, wow. And it was like, well, Desiree was tired and sweating, so I don't know if it fully said it, but she was just like, whoa, all the stuff I had been doing, all concert, trying to make eye contact, trying to posture, get the angle, waving the signs, all this stuff, I'd already been chosen. I'd already been selected. And that's sometimes how it is with God. 
Oh, you guys want to? Oh, uh, did he go up? Oh, that's that's great right there. That's uh, that's this microphone in hand, killing it. If you want to see the video, holla at me later. I'll send you the YouTube I think I got I got I got a little bit of video. It doesn't, you know, she's 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 doing her thing, you know. But you know, this is not the Desmond concert. We're gonna hold that off for another time. It's another story. But it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful moment because she was chosen before all of the work. And all of the all of the trying to earn attention and, and favor, she was chosen from before. You know, to wrap up, we are in desperate need of God and his grace. And whether you're like the younger son or like the older one, if you're tired of letting this idea that you're not good enough, that you messed up too much to, for him to welcome you back, to keep you from getting open, praying, reconnecting, remember his grace. If you realize that you've been stacking up all these good works so that you can get love and favor and a reward, that was a free gift all along. Remember his grace. And while understanding God's grace can take some work, it will be worth it. Because once we get it, we'll be able to accept it and share it with others. I hope this encourages you to God be the glory.